Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaAwesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by publisher Adam Jacoby, Adam underscore Jacoby, and managing editor Ross Binder at Ross WB on Twitter. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe, leave a rate and review wherever you're listening. And you can always head over to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe, become a premium subscriber today, get a ton of great content from us on those basketball and football teams, as well as inside information on recruiting. So first things first, before we get to our preview of the Western Michigan game coming up, of course, this Saturday in Kinnick at 2.30. We want to hit on some more recent stuff, first being from yesterday's, well, Tuesday's presser. Sounds like Cade McNamara is about as healthy as he has been since he sustained that right leg injury. Um, he said he's the closest to 100% he's been in a month. Uh, Ross, you, you saw that quote. You, you uh, made sure we were going to talk about it tonight. Um, that that one that that, that that that's one that stuck out to you by the sounds of it, and it, it should to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think Cade's health is going to be a probably a pretty critical subplot for this entire season. You know, the offense is going, the offense's ability to hit its ceiling this year, you know, is tied to Cade and to Cade's health. So if he's feeling good, you know, the ability for that offense to you know hit some plays that we haven't seen yet or just you know score some more points hopefully uh i think that's greatly improved uh with him feeling better so you know it's probably going to be a week-to-week game-to-game thing some weeks he might not feel as good but i think that's a it's a good thing that you know he's feeling good his health is trending in the right direction so uh yeah i'm excited to see what he can do on saturday yeah, I would tend to agree. It, it it sure seems like, especially him coming out of the Iowa State game, essentially unscathed. I think he got hit once or twice, and it it wasn't just adrenaline that he was working off of when he was in such good spirits after the game. And the more days, good days, you know, restful recovery days that you can stack for an injury like that the better it's going to be for the rest of the season. Now, of course, one aggravation and all of this goes out the window and, and who even knows, you know, what sort of a fluke or freak accident can precipitate that. <clears throat> but that goes for, every, uh, for, you know, any players, right? Anybody could take one wrong step and, you know, blow out their MCL or something like that. So there, there's a little bit more risk with Cade just because he is, you know, not quite, at 100% with both of his legs, so a little bit of a disadvantage there. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, he was able to play the position fine against Iowa State. He'll, he should be able to play it fine against Western Michigan. And as long as they're managing that recovery, managing that practice time, and, and sort of finding the happiest medium, and, you know, this is a lot of people's jobs to do exactly that, it sounds like I'm not going to say that this is going to be a non-issue, but it's it's going to be less of an issue than fans were worried about coming into week one. Two things. First off, one one facet of his his time at the podium was based on or was was regarding his thoughts on the team's need to continue to build that cohesion and chemistry, especially with the wide receivers, especially with guys who are passing or who are catching passes. And so his health 
is obviously a pretty big factor into that. And, and him getting a third straight game will definitely make it more and more likely that, you know, he hits Seth Anderson on that go route and that's a touchdown. He, uh, you know, uh, who knows when it comes to, I think it was Addison Ostranga and Luke Lachey running into each other in the end zone. Um, who knows, you know, if that, if that necessarily has anything to do with, with Kate and, and his health, but I, I think that's that's a big piece going to this one, especially based on what I've seen from Western Michigan. This is definitely a game where you can, you know, build some cohesion and and start to get confident about where guys are going to be and when they're going to be there and um, making those connections. Second, odds odds that the uh, health report or that pregame health report comes out and Cade's listed as questionable again. What do you guys think? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I, I was I was going to say as close yeah. to hundred percent as possible. That okay. I, I think that's just going to be the case until he's got multiple weeks where he's he's coming out essentially unscathed. And you know, I, I don't think that they're going to mislead anybody. Like if, if he's a hundred percent, he won't be questionable. But I think that their tolerance for what is or isn't a hundred percent is going to be pretty well hair trigger for the next few weeks at minimum. So yeah, I, I would be shocked if he's not listed as questionable still. And now the line is 28 and a half and we'll get more into this Western Michigan game here, here shortly. But since we're talking about Cade, I, I want to hit on it now and, and we can possibly talk about it a little bit more in a second, but what kind of lead do you want? Do you want, I mean, would you consider taking him out in the first half if you get a four touchdown lead, what kind of lead would you, would you have to wait until the second half? What do you guys think on that one? Because obviously we brought it up at you with the game against Utah state. Didn't even talk about it with Iowa state for obvious reasons, but based on that, that line, it's, it's more plausible. I I think this time around and based on what I've seen uh, regarding uh, how good Western Michigan is. Yeah, I, I would not take him out in the first half unless there's some sort of an injury scare. Um, I think it's beneficial to keep him in the second half for a few drives. To I mean, like you were mentioning earlier, he needs those reps with the receivers. He needs to develop that chemistry and that cohesion with Anderson and Caleb and uh, Nico and everybody else. So I think getting him more reps uh, is outweighs the risk of you know potential injury, which is there every play. So... I would let him play into the you know third quarter as if everything is going smoothly. Yeah, I tend to agree. When I talk to Kirk about sort of that sensitivity for you know how long do you keep him in prior to the Utah State game, you know I, I'm sort of gently reminded that we can't really predict how long a game is going to be competitive, and and that one ended up competitive longer than I think a lot of Iowa fans. Expected, but probably it, I think it came as less of a surprise to the Iowa coaches because at no point were they sort of looking ahead to a 25, 35 point lead. So, you know, at the same time, they were still really prepared and, and ended up, you know, using McNamara into the fourth quarter for that game. And his leg health was a bigger question mark than it is coming into this game. So 
you know, how much of a sensitivity are they going to have about preserving his health? I don't know. Probably less than we would think, because Kirk also enjoys having him. Well, enjoy isn't the right word. Appreciates having his guys go up against live competition and, and understanding that, you know, there's going to be factors that you can't really control the way you can in practice. And as, as we go ahead. I was just going to say to boot, it's one thing that we talked about after the game and that I asked about at Tuesday's media availability is the third quarter offense has stunk. It has reeked. I mean, you, you, you want to start to get some level of momentum and just be, I, I'm not saying that their confidence has wavered because I, I think this is the confident, most confident this team has been in the last two years. Uh, but in, in that particular arena of the game, you, you, you know, you want to get a little bit of momentum, whether you believe in momentum in sports or not, you want to get a little bit of momentum in that, in that third quarter and just be like, you know, get the supposed monkey off your back. You know, I, I, so I think, I, I think having Cade in the third quarter and, you know, starting off the third quarter with a, with a touchdown won't hurt. I think you just don't want that to become a thing, you know, Elliot? Like, yeah, yeah. They don't want that to be a thing that you're asking them about on Tuesdays about, you know, why. So, you know, what's the deal with the offense in the third quarter? You know, they don't want that to be a talking point and for good reason. So, yeah, let's see what Cade can do to try and fix that maybe. There you go. Now, on to, well, another thing that, that we could probably talk about briefly. I got an article um, on, on uh, iowa.rivals.com about it. They, well, about both of these things. Lose a player for good in Noah Shannon, unfortunately. Do regain Jamari Harris this week, which are both, you know, what are they, equal and opposite reaction? We're getting into physics here on this episode of podcast. <laughs> and I, I don't know that they're exactly equal, but it's a big loss and it's a big gain. I mean, obviously they didn't have Noah Shannon in these first two weeks. That defensive line group is super deep. And I think now that Deshaun Lee has had those reps, he's been able to see, you know, uh, see himself do it and be targeted regularly in two straight games he's got to have a level of confidence that he can step up and, and fill that role. You know, God forbid if there's an injury and now Jamari, Jamari Harris is back. Yeah. One of the things that the coaches like to talk about is, is raising the baseline of how many in their position groups are ready to be on the field. And Deshaun Lee got a lot of praise even before week one started for his preparation level. So I know that they weren't particularly surprised at how well he performed against Utah State and Iowa State. And I, I mean, yeah, they threw when the Cyclones got their touchdown in the fourth quarter, they were throwing a leap, but it took a great play on a fourth and long to get that touchdown. And if that's as, how difficult it's going to be to throw at Iowa's, what, third cornerback now, not even counting the cash. That's that's bad, bad news for the rest of the Big Ten, because, you know, it's it's not impossible to throw on these guys, but it's going to be difficult. And adding a guy like Harris and seeing him get immediately thrown into the starting lineup over Lee, who has uh, who certainly didn't lose his spot due to performance in the first two weeks. I, 
he was as much of a hero in the secondary as pretty much anybody. And that includes, you know, uh, Cooper DeGene, X-Man, like name him in the secondary and Lee was playing on that level. But instead of looking at it as a like, you know, Harris is starting, Lee gets, you know, quote, benched or whatever. The way that they look at it is now they've got three starting like proven starting quality cornerbacks that they can use. And that is a tremendous boost to the depth of this team, because I think we've also seen that the way to attack this team is to try to throw at it on the perimeter. That's at the very least, that's been the strategy for the first two weeks. I think we're going to see a little bit of that out of Western Michigan as well. And the more guys that you have that can cover in space, the better. And the more guys with the speed to return a pick six, i.e. Jamari Harris, that dude, I, I think, especially in the Big Ten, maybe not nationally, maybe nationally, but maybe not nationally, in the Big Ten, this is a super underrated re-addition to what's already a pretty good defense. I mean, with four picks just a few years ago, he had that year where, where he's been out due to injury, missed these two games, but he's a pretty damn good corner. And now he's opposite Cooper DeGene, who everybody's going to try to avoid at this point. And, I mean, they were going after Deshaun Lee, and he was good. He's he's not Jamari Harris, I don't think. Um, we'll, we'll obviously get more of a look at Jamari after a year off and missing those first two games. But I, I'm really excited to, to see what he can do now that he's back. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I am also very much looking forward to seeing what he can do. You know, it's been almost two years since he was uh, out there for Iowa, so that's quite a gap. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like he's fully healthy. He's been practicing very well, it sounds like. Uh, I think he's obviously going to be extremely eager, uh, you know, to get on the field and uh, and and start playing again. So, yeah, it's very uh, interesting to see what he can do. You know, it's interesting that he missed 2022. And we saw, you know, let's just say Justin Jacobs, who missed nearly all of 2022, and he ended up transferring to Oregon. Terry Roberts missed either almost all or all of 2022. He ended up, well, I mean, tr- uh, he did transfer, but obviously that he's not on a football it. team anymore. <laughs> right, right. And and who knows? And we're not going to relitigate that. But the point is, we also saw it across college football where when guys have to miss a season, that it sort of leads them to reassess things sort of take stock. Are they happy where they are if they're not on the field? And sometimes that leads to a transfer. When I talked to Phil Parker about Jamari Harris and that time that he spent on the sidelines, Coach Parker was very forward in talking about the level of growth that Harris was doing, the level of learning that he was doing once he was sort of forced to take a step back from the field for that year. And in a in a time where a lot of people use that time away from the field to find a reason to look elsewhere for their future. It sounds like Harris just doubled down, bought in even better and the coaches are thrilled about it. So that pretends very, very well to the level of preparation that he was able to do, you know, with, with the constraints of injury, of course. And then, you know, uh, this, this two week, time away again you know they they didn't have to worry about where his focus was going to be 
and the fact that he's in the starting lineup now only reinforces that. So I think, Elliot, you're absolutely right in terms of what this addition is going to mean for the Iowa secondary. You know, it's it's not really a need just because Deshaun Lee performed his job as, as well as he did, but, you know, getting a player like that of that caliber with that familiarity with your system, no less to be able to plug him back into the lineup uh, and, and really sort of get back into the game flow prior to the Penn state game. I, I think it's just set up very, very well for Harris to reacclimate himself with uh, the Hawkeye defense. I, I think it works out great for him as, as gambling suspensions go anyway. <laughs> right. I, I was actually just going to say that too, is that it's, it's good timing for him to make his comeback instead of, you know, the following week uh, against Penn yeah. state. Uh, that's, that's a much better time frame for him to return, get used to the game speed of, of college football, the D one level. Now I, I just very, very briefly touched on it there. Uh, the Noah Shannon suspension being upheld. You know, I, this is something that we've talked about at length that we've written about at length on iowa.rivals.com. And I don't know that I have a whole lot else to say other than I just think that the year long suspension is, is just, it's silly. I think it was predetermined that they were not going to let this go. The NCAA, um, this was, he was made an example and I, I don't, I don't think that it's really that much more complex than that. Truthfully, I think that, you know, for all we know that appeal meeting, the same people who decided whether it was the same people or not, but people came together that knew of the decision and for all we know, it might have been a two-minute meeting. Yeah, we're going to uphold it. This is not something we're going to do anything more with. And we don't know the guy. We don't know anything about. We just know that he bet on Iowa. See ya. Yeah, once it was, even from Iowa's perspective, the fact of his gambling was never in question, never in doubt. And, and once that was the case, and even Kirk was like, oh, yeah, he absolutely broke the rule, then, you know, you've, you've got a decent chance – well, I mean, decent, who even knows, because there isn't a whole lot of transparency there. But you've got, at the very least, a chance if the appeal is on something procedural, right? If if there was a misstep that sort of led them to some sort of certain conclusion. To just appeal on a, hey, this is rude and unfair. <laughs> uh, it's right, but you're probably, like you said, Elliot, you're probably not going to get a sympathetic audience from the same people or at the very, at a minimum, the same agency that decided to give him that suspension to begin with. So it's, it really stings for Noah. It stings for the Iowa defense, but you know, on, on some level, once it was accepted by all parties that that is in fact what had happened and that it was a bet on an Iowa team, you know, it, it didn't break the law, but, that was probably just going to be enough from the NCAA. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. You know, this outcome is not surprising. I think, you know, we talked about this on a pod a month, I don't know, a month ago, Elliot, something like that. And yeah. I think we, we agreed that, you know, the, the appeal, you do it, but we were not confident about the appeal getting, you know, changing anything. And indeed the appeal changed nothing. Um, it is, you know, truly unfortunate for Noah. Uh, I think it's a very, very harsh, very punitive punishment. Um, but 
uh, you know, like Adam said, the, the facts are not in dispute and the NCAA is going to cling to those facts pretty hard in this, this situation. And uh, like Elliot said, you know, there, there is certainly a making an example here is, uh, is part of this as well. So yeah. uh, it sucks. It, it's really unfortunate, but you know, I think it's, it's definitely not surprising. Now onto a, uh, uh, I don't even know how to make the segue properly here. The, the Nico Ragaini public, public, like being publicly reprimanded by the big 10. I, you know what? Now I publicly reprimanded the NCAA. What do you think about that? <laughs> like what? And he did, I, you know what the funniest part about it was, I think one of you guys pointed this out in, uh, in a group chat earlier today, uh, that he didn't apologize for what he said. Just the fact that he swore. <laughs> oh yeah which is just so cl- if you've talked to that nico Ragaini, so classic nico the dude <laughs> oh, yeah. ju- he just he is very uh i don't give a well use use some words that he used i'll substitute <laughs> in there uh he just that's the way it is i i you know i don't have anything much else to say about it i just think the whole thing's silly uh any, anything you guys wanted to, to riff on on there yeah, it is silly. And one, Nico doesn't really offer an apology for the, the merits of what he was saying, because, yeah, it was a bad missed call. Now, when you go in front of cameras, you drop language like that and you basically taunt the NCAA and Big Ten to like <laughs> do something about it. This is what they're going to do. <laughs> you know, uh... they, they, they did, in fact, do something. But I, I think I'll, I'll give the Big Ten this level of credit that they they understood that it was not going to help anything to uh, escalate the situation or make an example out of Ragini or anything like that. They're like, don't, you know, don't, don't cuss out our officials, please. Cause we, there is this rule, but let's just leave it at that and move the heck on. And, and sorry for that language, big 10 to, to put the H word in your mouth like that. Um, but yeah, I, you know, he said what he had to say. Big Ten said what it had to say in response, or what it had to say in response. And like you said, that's that. We can move on. Yeah, I got nothing. It's just a silly, silly <laughs> piece of nonsense and just bureaucracy from the NCAA. Just, you know, don't do not do that. That's just not very nice. But, we might put you in timeout, but yeah. we're not going to. <laughs> God. Exactly. Anyway, so on to football here on on this uh, thursday edition of hotcast obviously we uh weren't able to get together with a with a mess western michigan writer i was on uh, a different podcast yesterday and in previewing the game coming up this weekend i said well i don't know i don't think from what i've been able to find i don't believe there's a beat writer that covers western michigan so that might be telling as to how this game is supposed to go throw in the the line of 28 and a half and you know uh those two things it's probably not going to be pretty yeah it looks like a tough tough season for the broncos struggled against syracuse last week i believe they're breaking in a new coach uh this season and um you know, a lot of a lot of change there and uh, a lot of issues for them right now yeah, when you look at Western Michigan, there isn't that sort of top-level talent 
of guys who you would expect to routinely beat the Iowa player across from them one on in their one-on-one matchups. There, there is some talent there, and, and there is a little bit of creativity in the coaching, and, and Elliot, I think we'll, we'll talk about this in a bit. But, I mean, if you want to try to find the best player on their team, I'm not sure there's anybody on the roster, maybe with the exception of the running back, but I'm not sure there's anybody on the roster that looks like a, a lock for a uh, first-team All-Mac at this point. You know they they they've got they've got a little bit of talent. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Kanai Lovely got a little bit of recognition. Uh, it's spelled K E N I hyphen H. It's pronounced Kanai. Uh, so good luck to Gary Dolphin on that one. Uh, <laughs> there there is also a little bit of preseason recognition for their center Jacob Gideon, which I think is going to be a little bit easier for. Uh, Dolphin and Podolak to pronounce, but you know, there isn't, you, you look at their QB and you're, he's not getting NFL buzz. Um, there, there's not that like big, big worry. The, that, that sort of game breaking talent, even if there isn't, you know, even if players two through 22 on the depth chart are beneath Iowa, sometimes those, those Mac teams, those even like FCS teams, if they're if they're number one, can beat a whole lot of guys on Iowa's you know top twenty-two. A little bit of a difference there. I really just don't see it on this roster. That kind of bodes pretty poorly, especially when you consider how close Iowa has been to breaking some pretty big plays against what I would say is so far substantially better competition than Western Michigan's been. So this, I, I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and predict that it's going to turn into 60 to zero or anything like that, but this sort of has an opportunity to become that game for Iowa where all those near misses from the first two weeks turn into hits. And if that's the case, then, you know, a whole lot of the angst about things that didn't work in the first two weeks, if, if we get to see that actually work, a whole lot of that angst just goes away or you just chalk it up to, you know, week one and week two stuff. I'm going to be interested to see how often Iowa wins those one-on-one matchups, whether it's going to be on the line, on the perimeter, what have you. I think Iowa should be winning them pretty routinely. Uh, Certainly Iowa should not be losing them, you know, stalemates obviously, but I think on balance, this should be the sort of game where Iowa controls the pace, controls, you know, the flow of the game, scores maybe not at will but really for the most part it's going to be up to them in terms of where this final score ends up for the most part one thing that you said adam there was about that that group of talent and i'll I'll tell you the running back that you mentioned jalen buckley he's in the two games 38 attempts for 281 yards he hasn't lost a yard yet so give that to him i guess two touchdowns 7.4 yards per carry but one of his carries was for 75 yards against syracuse and it was his, the only touchdown they scored in that game yeah. so and and there was a 68 yarder against saint francis too so those two i mean and give him credit because two long runs in two weeks is not unsubstantial that that is a threat but that's also half of his rushing production in two rushes. So 
you limit the home runs and this guy doesn't really have that like OMG factor to him run in and run out. And one of them was against St. Francis. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now the other major point, well, there's a couple points that I, that I wanted to add here. One thing that was talked about a, a little bit here and there throughout the day at the, the media availability was the different type of pressure that they bring on, on the quarterback. And they, they try to show a variation of looks, try to confuse the offensive line, try to confuse the quarterback. There was a play where Syracuse's quarterback got freaking popped. They brought six uh, on, on the offensive line of, of five, obviously, for, for Syracuse, and their quarterback got absolutely lit up but he did make the throw and it was like a 60 yard touchdown pass so (laughs) with that said additionally you know compare Syracuse's offensive line to Iowa's if you want I don't really know that there is a comparison additionally Iowa's pass pro has been better but in watching a little bit of that game against Syracuse their quarterback's pretty mobile and that helped him out a lot it, it helped him extend plays and, and Kate hasn't really needed to do that to this point because the pass protection has been pretty, pretty, pretty good so far. So I, I think that it's not exactly going to be like, Oh my God, Kate has to be mobile. That's not my expectation. It was either, it's either protect at a relatively solid level or he is mobile and, and they're going to protect fairly well. I'm, I'm sure. And secondarily, Syracuse's receivers made some plays in this game. I think if there is a game, I mean, I said it just a little bit ago, if there is a game where that cohesiveness, cohesiveness is a word, cohesion really builds itself between Cade and these receivers, whether it's early on, whether it's in the second half, it's in this game. It's, It's where you finally have Caleb Brown break the seal and, and get his first catch, make a play, turn a corner and, and he scores on, I don't know, a 48 yard touchdown pass or a 67 yard touch, you know, uh, make a big play. And I think that's, that's really where that comes through this season because they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna bring pressure and that'll open things up in, in a zone scheme, have the zone heavy scheme. I'll, I'll just say if he actually does break a 48 yard touchdown, just like you described, take the world's longest victory lap by yourself a crown. It's like, that's such a specific <laughs> prediction that now I want it to come true. That's all I, I said 48 or 67. So I oh, got uh, one in 50 chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, in, in that regard, those are pretty much the majority of the notes I, I took. I think a bruising running back like jazz could feast against this defense too um, as well. And then, Lastly, I just went through, obviously, the uh, there's no AP poll from 1 to 131 or 133 or whatever it is. But I looked up some power rankings from sites that do these rankings. And I think the highest Western Michigan was in the 131, 133, whatever the number is, was 124. Iowa is currently ranked number 25 in the AP poll. So... If this isn't a game where they score 31 or more points, I don't think Brian has his job after this year. That's, you know, this is a a conversation that we're just going to keep having throughout the year. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I really don't. But 
if he can't do it against the Broncos, who can he do it against? Yeah, Syracuse had 400 yards passing against uh, Western Michigan, you know, 48 points. Most of those came in the first half. Um, you know, they were hitting a lot of big plays against the Broncos. So, yeah, that's, I think, the one thing I'm looking for out of this game, or one of the things I'm looking for out of this game is, you know, you kind of alluded to it, Elliot, but hitting those big plays in the passing game, you know, hitting Seth Anderson uh, for a big play, finally getting the ball to Caleb Brown and, you know, hopefully him scoring a precisely 48-yard touchdown. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think, you know, we have not seen that very often yet in terms of big plays to the receivers. Uh, last week there was some consternation about the fact the receivers had zero catches in the first half, which – not great. Um, that better not happen this week. Like they need to be touching the ball in the first quarter, in the in the second quarter. You know they they need to be involved, and you know this should be a game where they can make stuff happen, and we can you know see that chemistry between Cade and the receivers develop. You heard it here first. Five end arounds for Cade and Weijin. Wide receivers <laughs> back involved. I was I was just gonna say that like if if Caleb Caleb's gonna get one of those little bump passes and that'll be where he scores it won't even be a touchdown like a full on touchdown pass golly I bet we do I bet we do see more of Caden Weijin this week than we saw last week yeah with that especially set. in the second half I would say so yeah he was returning kicks last week too mm-hmm. uh, there was there was one that he returned that he definitely should not have returned. <laughs> In the second half, too. Yeah, so, so he was we'll, back we'll there. see if he still is. <laughs> if he's still <laughs> right, back right. there next week. <laughs> so he was back there. There was somebody else back there that we haven't seen. It wasn't Caleb Johnson. I can't remember who it was, though. It, it was maybe a DB. I'd have to go back and look at the film. But uh, that was that was a bit of a surprise to me. I really would have thought that... And, and I, I'd be intrigued to hear what you guys think on this. Again to reference Caleb Brown and the fact that he hasn't touched the ball yet. Why not put him back to return some kicks just so he has the ball in his hands. It's worth, you know, it's worth trying out. I think it doesn't seem like a bad idea to me. I mean, he's got more of a punt return kind of build, obviously being a little shorter um, and being a slot guy. But yeah, I mean, if Caleb Johnson isn't doing it, uh, why not? And because I'm pretty sure Weechin's a walk-on. Do you, do you? I think it was. It was speaking of. It was. I think it was Max White. I think it was two walk-ons back there. Interesting. Yeah. So do with that what you will. I guess. <laughs> well, it. it I'll, I'll say this. That is a little bit of a surprise, if only because this Iowa special teams unit is sort of reminiscent of the earlier. Kirk Ferentz years where you would see starters in a lot of these packages. Uh, Eric All, for example, got some kudos from uh, Coach Hodge just last week for being on the um, punt and um, kickoff teams. So a little bit surprising that, you know, you've got guys like Weijin and White and, you know, nothing against them. I'm sure they've earned it, but you know, a little bit surprising that we're not seeing that top end talent, you know, back to receive, especially when, you know, there's there's guys as capable as not only, you know, Cooper DeGene, but Caleb Johnson or 
like you said, Caleb Brown. I mean, we, we, we talk about who's got a, you know, a certain build for returning a certain type of kick. You don't look at Caleb Johnson and be like, all right, get back there in the three yard line uh, for the kickoff, you know, but he's, right. he is capable of making it work. He absolutely is that level of, of athletic. So, you know, it, I, I don't think that they're really trying to fit any archetypes or not, but yeah, a little bit surprising to see guys who, who are not your higher end athletes back there, especially in a game like Iowa state where, you know, it's, it's hardly a fait accompli that that game was going to be a winner. So we'll, we'll see how long that keeps up. So each of us agree that we have more to do in terms of research for, for Western Michigan at this point. Do you like the line? Do you, do you take, are you, are you taking the, that they, they, uh, what's the betting language? I clearly was not in trouble for this as a <laughs> one walk on track athlete. So, uh, the, is it the over? I don't know. I'm saying no, between, but I'm, as in like between the 28 and a half, like, is that, is that technically if you're taking the over, like they score more than 28 and a half? Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. Okay. I would, I, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm also very much a, a, I won't believe it until I see it. That, kind of person, com- especially when it comes to the Iowa offense, <laughs> like, that, that, how can you not be? That's a completely and, you know, 200% fair approach to take uh, until the offense actually scores more than 24 points. That said, my feeling is the defense is not going to allow Western to score very much, uh, possibly at all. And do I think the offense and or the defense and special teams can score over 30 points in this game? And I do. So given those two things, I'm comfortable taking what is understandably a very large spread for the Iowa offense. But I think this is a game where, where they can cover that. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Uh, Like we've mentioned earlier, this, this team has been very close to hitting on some big plays that would have bumped their scoring up pretty substantially over the first couple of weeks. And, you know, we're, we're having a little bit of a different conversation about Brian Ferentz if, you know, Cade hits a few deep balls that were there for him to hit over the first couple of weeks. So everybody there in that room recognizes how close they are. Now, if there's some spirited performance by Western Michigan, or if this turns into a thing where Cade's not really hitting on his deep passes with any regularity, even against a, a secondary like uh, the Broncos, you know, that's going to be a little bit of a cause for concern. And, and there's a non-zero chance that that is the case. So one, I say never bet on sports to begin with, but two, I'm, I'm, I would say cautious optimism on this. And then three, you know, if we see a situation sort of like Utah state really sort of like Iowa state where Iowa's got the lead they want and Kirk is happy to, you know, trade 80% of the time left on the clock for one touchdown, uh, which is basically the formula for the last two touchdown drives that both Utah state and Iowa state had. And, we're, we're talking about a coach who is now 64 and two in the last eight plus seasons, whenever he has an eight point lead, like the margin does not matter to Kirk Ferentz. It's just the win. And 
a stat like 64 and two tells you exactly like how good they are at securing those wins. So it will not surprise me if they don't cover, but I think it should disappoint fans if they don't cover with barring, barring some late backdoor, there's a gambling term, barring some late backdoor touchdown, which is entirely plausible. So let me phrase it like this. If Iowa does not lead that game by more than 28 points at any point in the game, that would be, I would say, a little bit of a cause for concern. If they're up 38-0 and it ends up you know, 38-10 because the defense took its foot off the gas pedal or you know, somebody fumbles at the wrong time or something like that with five minutes to go, okay, right? N- nobody on that coaching staff is going to care that much about that. So, again, never bet on sports, but I, I, I would be surprised if Iowa does not lead this game by more than 28 points at some point. We'll put it that way. A 38-10 backdoor cover with five minutes left, that's ended up on bad beats. That'll yeah. be on SVP's bad beats for sure. Now, there's also, <laughs> who's to say it's not hashtag do it for Brian and they score 78 points just to cover the 25 <laughs> per game for the rest of the season. That's not going to happen. I, I that If there's anything that I can guarantee in my entire life, it is that. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Of course, we'll have more in-depth previews on iowa.rivals.com. Ross Binder himself working on that. Adam and I, of course, will be at the game this weekend, and we will have a post-game pod for you, breaking down everything that happens on Saturday. So we'll wrap up today's pod here. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of HotCast, brought to you by iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. You get great content from us, all the inside info on recruiting basketball and football. And don't forget to subscribe and leave that rate and review. Wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc., as well as YouTube, you can subsmash. Su- oh my gosh, subsmash! You can smash that subscribe button and make sure you don't miss any of our content on all of those platforms. So for now, we'll see you next time.